Have you ever been scared or scarred by a film trailer? I I don't remember any trailers that scared me specifically, but I, uh, for years and years and years, was terrified of everything when I was a young a younger man. I didn't watch scary things until I was pretty old. But I remember my parents watching things like uh, un, Unsolved Mysteries, um, and even just hearing the theme song from my bedroom, I would freak out. I'd be lying in bed having a panic attack from the music because I knew it was scary. Um, but I but I pretty much avoided horror for a really long time, so I didn't really run into trailers that scared me. What about Scarred? Any that just stick or just tattooed in your brain? I, so many, right? <laughs> uh, in, in good and bad ways, right? Some of them are just movies where y- you see it and you're like, oh man, that seems atrocious uh and then some of them are uh, you know what this is i don't know does this count as a scar if it's a positive scar i the movie um it's called it's one of um quentin depew's movies uh it's about a guy who loses his dog um and he's searching for his dog and he goes to see a dog psychic and the trailer is one of the best things i've ever seen i would seek it out and watch it uh over and over again and then i watch the movie and it's like okay (laughs) usually how they get you <laughs> yeah it was, the, it was the the inverse of scarring it's it's burned in my brain forever but uh but it's good there you go frank you what about you uh no i'm 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 normal no i don't know i guess when i was in high school i remember in my one of i think it was a english class we for whatever reason, we were not reading the the novel. We watched Rosemary's Baby, and um, I think the trailer played before it, and the trailer had the lullaby that is at the beginning, and that scared the shit out of me. And to this day is why I will be hesitant to watch Rosemary's Baby, because the trailer scared me more than the movie, I guess, but not any of the images, just the lullaby is scary, and then the rest of the movie... Like I said, I'm normal, so I wasn't scared. <laughs> Bennett, how about you? As far as a, a trailer that's burned in my memory, it's funny, but I, I feel like the things that I really remember about trailers is when they've obviously edited edited them to like cut down a line or cut down swearing. Like I always remember awkward editing in trailers. So the big one that sticks out for me is the trailer for I think it's the fifth Final Destination movie, the one at the racetrack. Folks uh, at home, if if that one is you know the fourth or the sixth, please forgive me. But uh, there's a there's a there's a line in the movie where a character yells, "Are you out of your fucking mind?" And then gets like hit in the face by like a tire or something. And uh, in the trailer, it's cut. I swear to God, with like three seconds of silence, yeah. at least is how I remember it. Are you out of your mind? And like to this day, if I texted my brother right now, "Are you out of your?" He could he could text me back mind like we've we've said that back and forth to each other so many times but it's funny you should ask about trailers that scared me because when I think about scary trailers literally the first one I think about is the trailer for 2004's The Grudge that for me is the number one trailer that I would like change the channel turn it off run out of the room uh, you know I I was only I was like ten when it came out so it's not a trailer I would have seen in theaters thank God because that would have been a little more complicated but um, terrifying something about the kid meowing really freaked me out and also mm. the uh, the death rattle sound um, that was something and it was funny too like I can literally remember talking to friends in the schoolyard about that trailer and they were like oh I know it scared the shit out of me too like it was it was uh, like a shared experience among a, you know like ten people I knew that this was a freaky trailer and it, it's funny I was reading a 
a pretty negative assessment of it for uh, Reverse Shot from Adam Naiman. And he, he notes that it was a notably good trailer. So it's interesting. It definitely uh, it, It's definitely something that's stuck in people's craw. And the other one that sticks out as having scared me was the theatrical trailer for both The Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I found <laughs> incredibly scary. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, I was old enough at that point that I was like intrigued to see it. But The Haunted Mansion one, I was like, I'm going to like pee my pants about a trailer for a freaking comedy. I... I, th- I swear to God, I, I haven't revisited it, but they really, they play it very much like a horror movie for too much of the trailer, <laughs> in my opinion. Bennett, have you ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? No, I haven't. No, and it's funny. Maybe. My brother's like a Disney adult. It's funny that like, uh, that was not seated with like a childhood trip. No. Maybe don't go then. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I can't imagine how scary the rides must be. Good Lord. I, I'm, a, I'm an amusement park guy, as you know. I'm a coaster head, but um, no, I've never been. If you promise you'll wet your pants in the haunted mansion, I'll go with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 funny that I'm I'm such a horror like head now, and I love Halloween, but I used to be so fucking terrified of everything now. And I would say roughly like thirty percent of trailers still make me cry. Like the emotional beats in trailers work on me. Thirty is a very conservative estimate. There, they work on me like sixty percent of the time. You're such a good audience member. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, they, they really work. I, I'm proof that they work. I'm proof that people... I, I, I don't go see movies necessarily based on the trailer, but I for sure have like the full reaction that someone might have watching the movie. <laughs> ben, I would love to ride the Matterhorn with you because there are these yetis that when you go around a really sharp corner, there's just a yeti with glowing eyes. Like, uh, oh, you would lose it. I, I would all, I'll also say 99% of jump scares get me. I like oh, yell sure. every time. So these movies were, in a sense, made for me because they're really nothing but, you know, people walking into rooms to be scared. Hello and welcome back to Split Picks. It's uh, it's it's been a while since we fired up the microphones. Last time we talked, I had a fever. Santa gave me coal, and someone named Billy keeps calling me. <laughs> Seems nice. Um, but never fear, it's October again, and we're all in our happy place, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have assembled once again a crack team in the Split Tooth Dungeon to ease back into this realm called podcast. I'm Craig Wright, I'll be your host, and joining me today are some Split Picks regulars and favorites. First up, Aww. yeah, I, <laughs> I had to write that. <laughs> so first up, we have Frankie Venaria calling in from Boston. Frankie, how are you today, and how is teaching 23 classes at the same time going for you? <laughs> Uh, it's the, it's the scariest thing of all. It's true. <laughs> uh, no, I'm well, I'm excited. I, I remember, um, when I was growing up, I had a friend who was really obsessed with the American grudge and talked about it, talked about it, talked about it nonstop and was very scared by it. As Bennett had mentioned, the, the kid meowing was a big part of that. I never saw it when I was that young. But having seen it recently, having seen it later and then having rewatched it recently, I can say I uh, was not, not scared about any of it, it or anything in it. And it was kind of by both, of, by both the original and the American remake. So, 
Frankie Venaria, tougher than movies. That's right. <laughs> tougher <Yeah>. than Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I I was jumping out of my seat, I gotta be honest. <laughs> and from Austin, Texas, we have Jim Hickox. Jim, Hi. I forgot to ask last year, did you actually end up giving out Play-Doh instead of candy to trick-or-treaters? Uh, I'm a kind man. I offer both options. Uh, <laughs> I, I have them both, and they have to pick one or the other. Uh, and a shocking number of kids pick Play-Doh. That makes sense. You're probably the house they all change costumes and come back to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we do get a lot of kids. I wonder why. You have so it could goods. be, yeah. Could be. Could be that they're swapping out. They're just taking their mask off, going around the corner, coming right back. Yeah. You set yourself up for it. <laughs> it's true. And from Philadelphia, we have Bennett Glace. Bennett, whenever we start these October episodes, I feel like something seems to go wrong in your apartment. That's Do true. you have any sign of cockroaches, leaks, or other spooky intrusions today? No, but it is funny. Our, a, a pipe literally burst uh, in our basement <laughs> yesterday. We, we the basement's not part of our apartment. It's you know it's just, uh, the part of our downstairs neighbor's apartment, and uh, it has been fixed. Like we didn't have hot water for a little while, but uh, no, no, nothing uh, besides that. Ooh, that spooky autumn wind rolling in, and there was the escaped convict in the area, and all the people um, kind of uh, as someone said on Twitter, like reenacting the end of uh, the Night of the Living Dead, like every fucking you know piece of shit with a gun in the philly excerpts was you know uh, driving around looking to shoot somebody uh so that's a little uh that's a little spooky sets the tone for the season right? <laughs> got me in the halloween spirit let me tell you so each year for october horror split picks takes a quick field trip to a different country to find some of the best horror films and directors from around the world in 2021 we started at home and looked at what we determined to be the mount rushmore of american horror we talked about toby hooper John Carpenter, Wes Craven, and George A. Romero. Last year, we put on our black gloves and fell in with the Italian greats, Dario Argento, Sergio Martino, Lucio Fulci, to talk about all things giallo. So when we started this series, the first three countries that immediately came to mind, and I mean, everyone said the same three countries. It was the USA, Italy, and Japan. We all were more familiar with the US and Italy, so we started with there. But this year, we are talking about Japan and some of their famous ghosts, grudges, and gothic imagery. Obviously, Japan has a huge cultural history with horror films that dates back to the dawn of the medium. We're not covering the whole history of Japanese horror in this series because we would be here for years. We're instead going to focus on a few select directors, as we do for Split Picks. I will say, selecting directors for Japan was tough i think we all mentioned at least five names that all would have been great candidates um so we we cut the list down to three i'm so excited to talk about all these guys though because we have takashi shimizu kiyoshi kurosawa and takashi Miike. for this series we're gonna be looking at a mix of classic and lesser heralded films from some of japan's greatest horror filmmakers like i said this is just a quick survey of what japan has to offer these directors were selected for a combination of styles that complement each other, that also hint at the country's vast film history, and also how their particular styles of horror compare to the rest of the world. So with that in mind, we decided to kick off this series with Takashi Shimizu and his world-famous series, The Grudge. Particularly, we'll be looking at the first theatrical release of Jew on the Grudge, the 2004 American remake, The Grudge, um, which he also directed. And then, for fun, we're going to dive into the 2020 U.S. sequel, also simply called The Grudge, and directed by Nicholas Pesh. 
So the grudge was really a global phenomenon and really put Japanese horror on the map in a global sense. I was in third grade when it came out and we talked about the trailer. Like I remember that looking absolutely horrifying. I didn't see it until 2022 though. Um, So before (laughs) we get going, can I ask each of you to tell me what your earliest memory of the grudge is and when was the first time you actually saw it? When I was in college, I'm the, I'm the elder here. Uh, When I was in college, uh, I remember the ring came out ringu that's not true ringu came out when i was in high school uh and uh and i remember that being a big deal among my nerdier friends and and then watching that with them and being like this is pretty spooky um and then there was a big american remake of that and then uh when i was in college the grudge came out and i remember it existing but i paid no attention to it at all uh and that remained true until a few weeks ago uh oh okay you hadn't (laughs) seen them before when i watched all three the grudges um (laughs) in a in a in a blast to 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 bone up for this frankie how about you well it was when I was, I guess, a tween that I first heard about The Grudge, not the original one. I only knew about the American one and then learned about the original. And I watched them kind of years later, but not with any amount of real interest or, or curiosity. <laughs> okay. I guess. Crack team. Crack team here for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I generally don't watch any movie with those things in mind or those faculties uh, at work, but uh, I did use them somewhat to prepare for this, but still only only reading one chapter of one book to get a sense of perspective on it. So, well, Bennett, what about you? Because you and I are closest in age, Bennett. So I think we were both. Yeah, it sounds like you're young. just a year younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of spoiled a little bit of my earliest experiences with this. Yeah, seeing the trailer. I mean. To, to echo Jim, I mean, I, I even young as I was, I remember the American release of The Ring being such a phenomenon. It's weird. I don't think my parents rented it. I don't remember them, you know, I don't remember them watching it. But I remember a kid at camp, like, relating the whole plot to me and, and me listening in rapt attention, like, wow, that sounds, that sounds fucking scary. <laughs> and then I think I honestly probably first experienced both movies by way of the scary movie franchise because <laughs> I hadn't watched The Ring or uh, either the, the American uh, Gore Verbinski Ring or the original film until uh, probably like 2021 and i hadn't watched any of the grudge films until like three days ago (laughs) oh no sorry (laughs) excuse me besides the 2021 i um i first watched the 2021 which was released in that um it was released in the kind of cursed um like january and february right before covid hit and i was so pissed that i missed it because I, I, it got mostly pretty shitty reviews. Everyone kind of, you know, was like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But I, I swear to God, I remember somebody comparing it to, like, Fulci. And I was like, okay, I'm interested. And I, I finally watched it in probably, like, May of 2020, kind of early, still quite early pandemic, and uh, was quite taken with it. And the image in particular that stuck with me is Lynn Shay cutting her fingers off is mm. really, like, burned in there. That's something that, you know, like, hey, three years later, I was like, I, I, if I think of the 2020 grudge, I think of Lynn Shea cutting her fingers off, which is saying a lot for a movie that I think we most associate with a lot of pretty, pretty, uh, like iconic imagery, right? The, the sort of, you know, long wet hair and the, the, the kid meowing and the, the you know, white faces and stuff. This movie has a lot of stuff, the, the, the walk, slow walking, 
It's funny. I, I mean, it's funny for me when I think of the grudge, I think of something that no one would associate the grudge with. Because most people, when you say the grudge, aren't thinking of the 2020 film. They're thinking of, you know, the 2004 or the, you know, the original. I I did. I left out part of my story, uh, which is I forgot. I, I did watch when it came out, uh, Sadako versus Kayako. The, oh, the Freddy versus Jason of The Ring and the Grudge. I'm, I'm so intrigued. Uh, which, at the time, so I'd only seen the Japanese version of The Ring. I didn't watch a remake, or if there were sequels, I didn't see them. And I'd seen known grudges at the time, because it was it played Fantastic Fest when it came out, and I happened to be there, so I watched it. I remembered it being, like, medium fun and a little confusing. It's my sweet spot, yeah. Yeah. So, But maybe with more context, if I went back and watched it, it would be more fun, you know, uh, or at least less confusing. It might still be medium fun, but uh, but makes sense. But that was my first grudge. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was, like I said, I didn't see it when it came out. And then I finally saw it last year because we'd start talking about doing this series. And I was like, yeah, we should probably start with The Grudge and The Ring because those are like, you know, the two, I don't know, omnipresent of uh, J-horror. Um, sure. But I don't know. I personally i i like the 2002 japanese version the most of these three but um we'll get into all that later but oh stop shaking that's already a crazy take (laughs) (laughs) um but i think it is important quickly to touch on those two films because for many people if you just say tell me something about japanese horror they will almost certainly say oh yeah the ring and the grudge you know, those two movies came out pretty close to each other, and they really force people to talk about non-U.S. horror. But what is it about those films in particular that were so impactful? I mean, I think it's uh, a lot of that iconic imagery that we sort of referenced. Um, and I think it's interesting. We'll talk about this, I suppose, when we focus on the 2004 film. But I think it really speaks to the influence of The Ring, how much the American remake of The Ring seems to have influenced The Grudge. Um, the introduction of a little bit more of like a mystery plot. Um, they emphasize the hair way more in the American mm. Grudge than in the, uh, the the Japanese Grudge, which I think is is definitely that's a ring a, thing, a, yeah. a result of you know it becoming such an iconic thing from the ring. And there's definitely more. There's more water in the American <laughs> Grudge. It's it's a wetter film. Um, I think the image that sticks out for me from a from a pretty forgettable film is the the detective with like the hair on his mm. hand uh, when he, you know, reaches into the tub. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I don't know, I, I think both of the films really quickly uh, seem to have, like, set a standard for, for uh, you know, this, uh, the whole country and a lot of American minds, I think. They, they also, what, 2002, 2004 was sort of a weak time in American horror, right? For like, sure. we, yeah. we were sort of getting sick of, like, wisecracking serial killers, uh, and we weren't sure where we were going. We were, like, just sort of finding Final Destination, right? Which is sort of how we, like, ease into Saw the... Saw was on the horizon. Yeah, Saw is, like, on the horizon. John we're sort of, we're like, trying to figure out our new thing. And at the same time, these two Japanese movies come out. And, and the Japanese movies, at least are approaching horror in a in a way where it's more about sort of iconic striking images and less about like jump scares or sassy murderers right it's more about like people are in a house and then something's weird and then there's just a kid kind of lurking right and you're like ah there's a kid lurking there which is such a different approach i think it there was a freshness and we were like looking for something new right i think they landed at a good time uh to, to blow sure. up yeah and it definitely it, it led to such a kind of like brief period of like intense fascination i can't remember what the name of the the dvd series was but i just i remember there was like a series that would put out like especially twisted movies not just from (laughs) japan but from like asian countries in general i know like i think tale of two sisters is like the best of those movies famously um 
Yeah, and I, Mike too became such like an object of fascination. I think he he had an episode of like Masters of Horror. Did he? Um, yeah, I, I, oh, you can see how brutal. the the O four. It's a it's a pretty brutal oh. one. Yeah, you can see how the O four um, <laughs> grudge would be especially scary to an audience who had just most recently been watching like Freddy versus Jason or like Scream three. Yeah, it was definitely right. it was like a jokey period. And I like those movies a lot, but sure. it was like a a jokey period for uh, for for American horror for sure. So something that's really straight faced and like grim. Um, yeah. it's, it's probably a breath of, breath of fresh air. Unfortunately, you know, audiences, I guess, didn't want grimness in 2020 when they rejected Nicholas Pesh's <laughs> The Grudge. This Nicholas Pesh's best in the series, The Grudge. They also a little bit presage the, the direction horror is moving in now with, like, elevated horror, which I don't want to talk about because it makes me mad. Uh, we'll but, get there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they, like through being very serious and small they like become movies that are very much about cycles of abuse and stuff right which which all horror movies kind of are that on some level but they like are a little bit more on their face about it and they sort of lead the way for where we are now where movies are primarily about that and then also kind of there's a ghost Okay, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think it's to the 2020 film's credit that it doesn't do more of an elevated yeah, horror thing with I the agree. material. Because you could you could really see this this movie about like grief living on. You could and, like, get really ham fisted with it. Generations, you could get really fucking ham fisted with it, and I think I think they will probably before we're all dead. I mean, I, I think within the next couple of years, honestly, yeah, they yeah. probably will. Yeah, I'm gonna pause you guys there. So we've yeah, you know, there's three of you here. We're talking Sorry. about three movies. Um, <laughs> Can I just get each of you to give me a oh no, Jim, come on. <laughs> Can I just get each of you to give me a quick little overview of which film you're kind of leading the discussion on? So, Frankie, you were nominated to do the original Grudge. There's a lot of history behind this movie. I've read alternately that it is and was not started as a cell phone commercial. There are two shorts that are three minutes each. Um, but the second one was called four 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 um ten digits it's of phone four. call based right yeah. yeah I mean that's the first time we see yeah. Toshio the other one I don't think it's Kayako but there is the girl crawling it's similar slowly. Yeah. yeah but Takashi Shimizu has said like that is absolutely the basis of the Juon series um, but then he was in he was a student of Kiyoshi Kurosawa and Kurosawa actually helped him get the first Juon, the curse made and it's this part will be a little confusing because there are two full grudge films before we actually get to the grudge so um frankie did you have a chance to watch any of the curse films because there are two I, of them i did not actually so i've i've watched only the original 2002 one and then the american one so i'm excited to hear what's so great especially about the one. <laughs> yeah I don't know if I would say they're great, um, but there's some good stuff. Did Bennett, Jim, have either of you seen the Jew on the Curse films? No, I didn't have time to see the Curses. No I way. want to. I will at some point. I feel like an idiot for not. I, I didn't know they existed until after I watched it. Oh, really? Uh, okay. the, the original, yeah. And I, uh, no, I've just seen the shorts. Okay. Well, they are Same. on YouTube. Um, it's basically, if you've seen Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, um, that is essentially the format that the curse two takes where it's like here's 30 minutes of the first film with a new scene um i think it's gonna be fun for people who enjoy easter eggs because there's one scene especially in the 2002 grudge that's like oh that is directly connected to the earlier films that you just don't have the context of unless you've seen Mm. um but basically those films were kind of a word of mouth 
not quite sensation, but they definitely had a following. And so because of that, uh, Takashi Shimizu was able to make more of a theatrical release form. And Frankie, that is where this one comes in. So can you just give us a bit about what this first grudge, Jew on the Grudge, is about? Sure. Initially, when I was thinking about how I would describe it, I was going to call it a haunted house story, but it doesn't really feel like that because the ghost or you know entity that uh, you know characterizes much of the movie is not really limited to the house in terms of where it goes and what it does and who it you know torments. So it's a little bit of a misnomer, but it's essentially that. One of the things that's kind of interesting, baffling, and interesting about the film is that this the chronology of when things happen is not always entirely clear, but essentially the it initiates with a man killing his uh, wife and child, though you don't entirely see that at the beginning uh, of the, the opening of the film. It's hinted at, and you can obviously tell, although I think it's more ambiguous about the, the son being killed. So you don't entirely know why until later, but it's kind of hinted at some kind of infidelity. Then we are introduced to other characters, primary character, or for a while, primary characters of a man and his wife and the mother uh, of the of the man uh, who are living in the same house where this murder had happened. And there is a, a haunting that, that is still present there. I guess, uh, I don't know if social worker would be something. I'm not exactly sure what her... But a volunteer at some sort of social work facility is tasked with going to this home to assist um, with the elderly woman who lives there and is generally kind of enfeebled and, and, you know, neither her son nor daughter-in-law seem able to care for her in the way that she needs to be. Uh, And that's kind of our introduction to uh, a lot of the plot. Uh, Rika is is the name of this social worker who's introduced as possibly a protagonist in the movie, but one of the key things with the film is that it swaps perspective between the the characters, the, the husband, wife, uh, the mother at one point, and, and even some of the more ancillary characters, like the sister of, of this husband character. Uh, so uh, essentially it, it follows the, the genealogy, I don't know if I would say genealogy, but follows the spectral presence uh, of the ghost and kind of what it does to these characters killing killing kind of the main ones the husband and wife and uh eventually uh, the sort of social worth of character by by the end and jim just to get a quick intro they remade this as an american film um, we're going to go into much greater detail but for now how would you sell someone on this movie if they asked you for a horror recommendation and you said, we're watching The Grudge, the American version? The 2004 specifically American version. Yes. Uh, it's, it's got Bill Pullman. Hey. Briefly. I had no idea going in. <laughs> Neither I did I. I didn't know anything I about turned it. turned to Katie and said, is that Bill Pullman? <laughs> and, and, it, and then it Mission Impossible's you. They're like, here's yeah. Bill Pullman, suicide. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. I guess I no had no Bill idea Pullman. about the fractured narrative structure going in Same. any of these films. It really took me by surprise. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. I, but anyway, sorry. I, well, I went. I watched this one first, uh, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I watched them in the order that I did. Um, if 
if here's the thing, if somebody was like, hey, Jim, let's watch a grudge movie. And I was like, OK, let's watch the 2004 grudge movie. And they were like, why specifically are you choosing 2004 grudge movie? I would say because they're all equally good. <laughs> and uh, and this is the one I started with. <laughs> There's the short answer. <laughs> so Bennett, instead of looking at the grudge Two, which Takashi Shimizu also directed, you chose the twenty. Which I did watch. I haven't uh, seen that one yet. I, I can tell you a few things. My about new it, theory yeah. is that American Grudge Two is probably the best one, but I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know it's, that. It's. I'll, I'll say it's the second best. Okay. Uh, after <laughs> after the one you're repping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe it's the best. <laughs> so Bennett, you select the 2020 <laughs> reboot, which is a chapter in the canon, as the director says. The untold chapter, you there might say. There you go. Um, but you select it because it's also called The Grudge, so we're doing The Grudge, The Grudge, The Grudge. Um, I was kind of against it at first, but then I liked the idea because it does allow us and to talk. And then you saw it. Yeah, yeah then I saw it twice. <laughs> um, but it lets us talk about you know how franchises work, and especially when the original creator is no longer involved and how they keep uh-huh. going. Um, so can you just tell us why you're drawn to this film and also just in a sentence or two why it's a part of the grudge universe um sure yeah it's um among the things about it that fascinates me is the weird neither fish nor fowl nature of it it is both a prequel and a, or no it's 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 both a kind of sidequel and a sequel and a prequel it's a prequel the grudge and, and also a, a prequel yeah it, but that's sort of the nature of the grudge right yeah exactly it, it jumps from uh, it jumps between timelines they're all splintered in time but um I, I i'm fascinated as i think i've mentioned in like multiple pieces by like the new weird franchise machinations that exists now how everything is is both like a remake and a sequel you know stuff like the the what is it the fifth scream movie being kind of you know like uh, i think they you know talk about it being a recall um, so i was fascinated when this came out how it was gonna you know relate to the whole timeline and uh yeah i don't know right out of the gate not knowing anything about the other two films it really fascinated me um i i'll say it it, it centered largely or really yeah and pretty entirely around uh, a house in uh kind of small town pa another great thing about it and um it's basically about how the you know the grudge curse the titular grudge comes back to the u.s and uh infects uh, a bunch of people who live in that house and uh the kind of cops uh, investigating it uh, it's got a cast featuring three surprise oscar nominees not for their performances in this film unfortunately but uh andrea riseborough damian bachir and um and jackie weaver were all uh kind of oscar nominees who were considered to be sort of surprise nominees uh andrea riseborough of course recently for uh that movie i can't remember the name of uh you know the the, the famous one uh i I don't know there was the uh, dubious campaign to get her nominated anyway um it's 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 the um it's the first of these grudge movies that's rated r it's the first of these that really leans into the uh, they're all very unpleasant and suffused with dread but this one is really good gory and gross and uh like it even like juxtaposes like kind of like sentimental moments with like especially grim moments and um I don't know, it's got an ending that for me feels almost reminiscent of the Saw franchise. And like, again, not knowing that the other films had kind of weird convoluted timelines, I thought that was such a pleasant surprise when I, you know, rented this movie for the first time back in 2020. Because I, I don't know, I, as you know, I, I love uh, it's charming. needlessly complex timelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It, it instantly makes a movie more interesting. Why yeah. not do it? Yeah. So there's the overview, but let's really dive into the original grudge now 
So like we've mentioned, The Grudge began as some short films that, you know, then became shot on video movies. But then it turned into a franchise that has raked in hundreds of millions of dollars. So this really is the little film that could. It, you know, started as nothing and now it's a household name regardless of your opinion of it. Um, but I like starting the Japanese horror series here because Takashi Shimizu in an interview talks a lot about what scares him and what he drew from to create this series. And I really like how he approaches the ghosts because he talks a lot about, you know, when they were doing the remake, how they, you know, kind of structured the ghosts and redid them. So for this one, he really wanted it to be traditional Japanese ghosts where the fear isn't so much that they're going to kill you. It's more that, oh my God, these ghosts exist and they're in the mm-hmm. room with me. With that in mind, you've all kind of mentioned it maybe isn't the scariest movie to you, but are there any particular sequences that stand out to you in this film? Because for me, there are at least, I'd say two to three elite level scares. Um, well, again, I'm normal, so no. <laughs> Unflappable. <laughs> I mean the 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 staircase scene, you know, towards the end, of course, I think is to me the the best moment of it, where you not with the ghost specific, well, I mean, I guess, but you know, the, just the white face and and you know, looking out kind of like you know beseechingly towards towards Rika and you know, seeing a figure when. We're seeing the, you know, the the image uh, of this woman who was murdered by her husband climbing down the stairs and, and looking like she's kind of reliving that moment um, perpetually and she's reaching out to another woman in that instant is, is very affecting. And then, of course, you know, the play off of that is that the, the husband is also is also there, um, kind of lurking. So I don't know that that's kind of the big moment for me or the big draw. But after, although initially I was, I guess when I knew about it, was kind of creeped out by the idea of the kid meowing. It just became hilarious to me after a while. <laughs> I found it so confusing, the Same. meowing boy. Because also there's a cat, and sometimes the cat's meowing, and then sometimes the boy's meowing. There's a, One thing about all of these movies is that I never understood the rules, which is fine. They're ghosts. I don't have to. Uh, but it made me feel a little bit untethered in, in all of them. All, literally all of them. And isn't that scary? <laughs> it's not... Well, you can get more credit than it deserves. <laughs> it's a little. I I would say, like Frankie, nothing in. I think any of these movies legitimately scared me. There's a couple of jump scares in the 2020 where I was like, ah. But jump scares always they always kind of just make me resentful. But in the first one, they're. It's an uncharitable attitude, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff that's creepy. There's some stuff that is. Uh, that is really striking, right? There's a few things that really, where I was like, oh, yeah. Um, a lot of it is just, I love his Buteau ghosts. I hate, there's like one big CGI moment, and I was like, why are you doing that? Uh, your Buteau people are so nice. Although I was a little confused why he didn't use actual Buteau dancers who could contort their bodies in crazy ways. Uh, because if you ever watch Buteau, it's spookier than the ghosts that are dressed up like Buteau dancers in this movie. So, Jim, I'm going to interrupt you there, because that is actually where he said he got the idea for the ghosts. Oh, it's I, I found that clear from the makeup. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, the, one, the one that really sticks with me, and clearly everyone else, because it's in every single version of the movie, but the fingers and the hair and the shower is so good. I was like, ugh, yeah, do that. 
that was the one that very scary and like very like visceral it's so brief though like i, I think it's that so is a nice. strength but like it yeah. also i don't know they could do a little more but <laughs> <laughs> bennett you've established you're the scaredy cat of the group so yeah what's scary how, how does this film get you <laughs> The, the one jump scare that really uh, sticks out actually was toward the end when uh, Toshio was like under the table at the restaurant. I really mm. did a, ah! Uh, which I found surprising because I think this movie mostly like steps on its scares with yeah. like what the, the first reveal of Toshio has this like whooshing sound effect yeah. under it that just made it like corny. And I find that I thought the score for this movie fucking sucked. I thought it was like a really like goosebumps fucking like masters of horror, the plinking like creepy piano. Uh, ooh. Did not do the movie any favors. So, but but I do think um, that Toshio's original initial reveal when he when he talks in that like creepy kind of Danny Torrance aspect mm. monotone is scary. No wonder it's capped in the two thousand four film. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I it it, it has uh, it's it's a creepy idea. But I think only a few of the jump scares really got me. Again, I watched this on my computer, well. They're not really so jump scares in this movie, <laughs> or I don't read them as jump scares in this movie. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. It doesn't hit them in the same way the 04 one does. No, not at all. It's not trying to be like, bah! and then you're like, ah, a thing happened. It's just like, it's just like, oh, there's a guy over there, and you're like, oh. You're like, I, I, I do generally like that the structure is that it's just kind of like a series of buildups to scares. That it's it's almost like a little like anthology sort of film with just you know, it's just moving from like scare to scare. Um, and yeah, I mean, most of them are pretty effective. It's no wonder that uh, it it was kept for the 2004 one. One thing the 2004 one. Uh, you know, one thing that's worse about the 2004 one, I don't know what the opposite of improves is, um, the, 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 uh, the, the creepy, the video of the husband, you know, killing uh. the, the, the woman who would become the ghost is really creepily grainy and it, it looks like you're watching like a fucking like snuff film or something. <laughs> and then in 04, it's, it's like a Instagram filter. Like it looks yeah. like shit. Uh, and I'll say the sheen of the 04 one in general is like bad. It just looks like it any is other bad. fucking horror film of the era it looks like a you know it has no aesthetic song. goals whatsoever like yeah <laughs> i don't know just bland over uh, overshadowed kind of look uh can i i have to make a sad admission re- regarding one of the things you mentioned which was the score of the movie because i have no idea what it was because i uh i, I, I look i'm a simple it's, it's not very memorable i'm a simple man uh and i look for movies on my television and then if they don't show up i just google them and click on whatever comes up and <laughs> and so i watched the original movie the 2002 version on some website uh some i think it was daily motion uh and the version of it that's up there someone put a different score on top of there's just there's just wall-to-wall uh license-free production music across the entire movie but it's it's really artfully done and so i i assumed it was i was like it was honestly the whole time i was watching the movie i was like there are three things i really love about this movie where it's really doing something and one of them was the score it's just so aggressive uh and it does like it does some weird there's moments where it's like playing and then it just cuts out hard uh, and then comes but there were things where i was like i'm gonna steal this from this movie and then later i by the end of the movie it took me until like 10 minutes from the end and i was like maybe this is wrong uh and then i looked up a clip and it's completely it's just some whoever uploaded it to the website layered other music across the entire movie um so i watched it with this super aggressive score that's that's like it's really i can send you a link it's really um 
like over the whatever emotion is happening it's doing it to there's like it plays like a cover of uh what a wonderful world as made famous by louis armstrong whenever <laughs> we're flashed back to the like couple and before they're murdering each other uh it, it plays like really intense like when uh when the woman gets a you know uh the sister gets a phone call from the ghost uh, and it's like looking in the hallway it's playing this like hardcore like four on the floor techno it's it's anyway so i watched the movie with intense emotional cues that i, I guess weren't supposed to be there um <laughs> so but it was good i liked it <laughs> okay that's <interesting>. recommended <laughs> i have to say i think the strongest scene in not only this film but the entire franchise is the ghost in the bed scene I think mm. that one i think reaches some things that are very memorable because i think she you know she's kind of being stalked by this ghost where she thinks you know her brother's calling her but then she gets the you know what's it called ben at the death rattle on the phone mm. Ooh, spooky yeah spooky. Like, in, in, in this version it's called the death rattle and i think it's called like uh they, they call it something else in the, the 2004 wait did they literally say something with the it, on the uh, on the you know if you're watching it with subtitles they call it something else oh, they call it like uh like groaning or croaking or something. <laughs> the um rasping Rasping, yeah. thank you. Which I thought was in general, in keeping with the overall like PG thirteen mm. PG thirteenification. They don't want to use the, the word death. Yeah. They're yeah. like, there's no well, death involved with these ghosts. <laughs> anyway, I I just really like how they build that scene because you know she's like, oh my god, I'm so scared. I know, I'll hide in my bed. And so, right, insane. Yeah, she just covers her head. Then she's like, no, the TV will help. And this is the part where I think they do something really great because the TV starts kind of like shaking and morphing yeah. and then all of a sudden the newscaster's face is just like twisted into a vortex and then you see the lump in the bed start to rise and you see it before she does obviously but then the ghost is in her bed staring at her and i just really like that because when i was a kid bed stuff always yeah. freaked me out like, well that's your safe spot still exactly exactly <laughs> But none of you really feel there's like anything super memorable in this. Like you're all just kind of thick skinned. <laughs> oh, that, and... that, that's a great sequence. No, I think uh, I think her getting like pulled through the yeah, bed. Yeah, pulled is, into is the really bed. Memorable. Nice. And it's it's an effect that I think they they use in yeah, the O four one as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's a great effect. Um, and yeah, bed stuff always gets me as well. Um, and I had no idea that there was TV stuff in this. I had no idea that, that was also something that it shared with. There them. is well, there's also right. There's like TV stuff, but there's also a bunch of phone stuff. Yeah. I, I at one point I I was like, what do phones have to do with these ghosts? I wrote down as a note because I don't. There's like phone stuff all over the place uh, in in all of them. Uh, and there, yeah, there's yeah. TV stuff in all of them. I. I don't know. I just have a lot of questions about these ghosts. Also, in that sequence, that very sequence you just mentioned, the ghost shows up and then has to like call her and ask what apartment she's in because it doesn't know what apartment she's in. Well, I and, think that's more it, just it's and it can her. impersonate a guy who is still alive, and it can, and that's when we le learn it can leave the house uh, and just show up wherever. Uh, it's it's there are a lot of I have a lot of questions. Well, Jim, I'm going to take a stab at one because I think yeah. the phone <laughs> stuff probably comes from that first from that short, short when it was which, like it's a phone commercial kind of maybe kind I, of um, which I I have a big question about Shimizu in general it made if my count's right eight grudge movies right two shorts two grudge the curses two Japanese the grudges two American the grudges and across across all eight of those movies 
never pushed the formula forward even a tiny bit. They're all they're all functionally identical. Uh, he like came up with some ideas in the shorts and then just does them, um, which I find both admirable and infuriating. Uh, I like I don't understand how he, which like you know if you look at most horror franchises buy two or three movies in, they're trying other stuff, and then eventually they're like scrambling to get back to their roots, right? So maybe it's the right choice, ultimately, to just sort of stick with the thing that worked. Um, but how could he do that and not go crazy? Right, yeah. I, I wish he had directed the the Freddy vs. Jason movie. Sure. Yeah, the, because uh, like, I don't know, at least that's, it, it's surprising. Most franchises, somewhere between, uh, you know, like the second or third installment and going back to their roots, they usually start to get fucking crazy yeah it's like yes. friday the 13th halloween stuff certainly does um yeah it, it's really surprising it's such a like down the middle franchise which is really why i like the 2021 the 2021 <laughs> is the one that really throws fucking curveball it's ups- it's like a, i don't know i find it genuinely upsetting it's, it's, it's like also, a grim gross movie, it's also such a fertile make them like they used to the like seed of it is so for it is it is in my mind similar to like a final destination where it's a great mm-hmm. idea that you can push in so many different ways uh, and it yeah. feels like everyone involved with making these movies is just choosing not to. <laughs> I just don't know why the 2004 one would bother repeating most of the scenes. I can see why it keeps pulling her into the bed. I can see sure. why it keeps the hair in the, the hair in the, the the hand in the hair in the shower. But it's just it's not something that I, I think most audiences would have seen. So yeah. they're not going to be like, hey, put the fucking heads because <laughs> it's. I, I feel like the whole point of this franchise, like you said, the seed is so interesting. It could be like the Final Destination movie where it could just, it is just a series of like horror set pieces. Why aren't they getting a little more fucking avant-garde with it? Why aren't they getting crazy? By the first fucking remake, you should be getting crazy. Well, and that's, that's part of the brilliance of the 2002 one, right? Is, is the things that were, that struck me as genius were the score that was wrong. Uh, The Buteau ghosts, (laughs) which are, which are there, right? That's part of it. But then also just the structure of it. It's just, it's because I watched the American one first and the American, the 2004 American, even more so the 2020 American, feels like it's been restructured to be, it's like, ooh, I'm fractured, but not really. Yeah. Um, and, it sticks to a protagonist. It's Again, yeah. it feels like the influence of the ring. Like, like we have to have like a Naomi Watts. to Exactly. Whereas the 2002 one is just like, here's four stories kind of jumbled up together, right? They're like sort of lead into each other, but largely it's just like, it, it really leans into this idea that like this is a sort of eternal problem now that this house has or that this area has uh, and it spreads. Right. It's like every everyone who dies from a grudge could start a new grudge um, and people who die not from grudges could start a new grudge. So it's it, I don't know. It sets up this idea that like th- we can tell stories from this space forever if we want. Right. Uh, you could do like a like a what Tremors for where it's it's set in feudal Japan, but in that same spot and the grudges are happening from that same spot. Right. Because um, we don't know that Kayako's the first. The genesis is the grudge. We just know that the grudge affected that family. Um so it could be deeper. It could be older. There's like a lot to explore. Well, and in the no, first I, movie, it jumps around. She is the first of this grudge because the whole. How do you know? Yeah, right. The, did you read well, the, the opening title quote? card? Suggests that it could happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. No. I want to know how you know she's the genesis. Well, the opening title card suggests that, like, you know, anybody could turn into this sort of ghost. You know, yeah. she's the genesis of this sort of line of it. It seems. Yeah. You know, it that, seems, that but crime. we don't I feel know like that. That's why we get that flashback. To, well, I feel like that's why we get that this sort of grainy flashback to start is to suggest, like, here's the origin. And then in you know the O4 one, she has that extended kind of you know interaction with Bill Pullman's ghost and. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but it's saying like when someone dies in a fit of rage, like they can continue to haunt the space they were killed in. So right, but then everyone else also dies in a fit of rage. So I I don't see anything that proves to me that she's the Genesis. But we don't we don't know that her husband isn't being haunted by an older grudge. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Like it's it certainly missed the opportunity. Movie, the movies exactly. imply the movies imply that that is the origin of this particular grudge. But I'm just saying, there's nothing that proves that it's that there isn't an older one that, well, that affected Jim, that I one. Did read an interview with uh, Shimizu where he says he was really inspired by two things, and it was like classic Japanese horror, where it's like you know the ghosts are just here but not really touching you, and also sure. he found that domestic violence cases were like way on the rise in Japan, and sure. so that was like the second main cog of the story, where you know the husband finds the wife's diary and she's writing about another man and he right. she's cheating so he kills her and so i think that is to me pretty definitive that this is the start of this particular curse sure if you want to listen to the author <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to see a jim sequel to this series <laughs> just <saying>. me too <laughs> i would fucking love another grudge movie yeah one they should like be cracking stat. these out every year it's it's so fertile grudges right and and we we know the right it, it establishes even in this first movie that a grudge can spawn other grudges although no one takes advantage of that until the 2020 movie where they send it back to what ah, the grudge two it comes to the US. oh well so i haven't seen the grudge two. uh <laughs> no one takes advantage of it for a while uh but like they could be we could be spinning off grudges there could be like the grudge detroit you know you could have grudges exactly. everywhere oh yeah yeah it could be a fucking TV series for yeah. Christ's sake. They want to turn everything into an anthology series. Constant a grudges. A anthology series would be perfect. I mean, even one of them. Certainly, the, I think the first movie more than the others is like a little like anthology series. Yeah. In miniature, right? I mean, why not? Ugh. Ted Sarandos, are you listening? Come on. In the logic of of the first movie, I guess you know to give it credit, like there is a certain sense it makes to have the story, the narrative, like decorporealized in this sense where it's all just these episodes that haunt each other and like that there's a certain logic where that works to justify it for like turning it into a franchise of being like oh well it's really a metaphor for filmmaking and you know they can you know you can see that pretty obviously at least in the um you know transformation from the original to the american one like it, it the scenes being redone you know almost shot for shot for much of the movie like that seems to be very self-consciously a point of being like well this past one haunts not necessarily in a negative way but it's a grudge that continues and metastasizes and can't be like contained to one geography or kind of national which is interesting like intellectually but doesn't make it to me interesting as a as like a as a horror thing like it's i think he he's sort of what you're saying jim and, and bennett like there's ideas there to push but to me they don't really come from the story so much yeah. as like the production context agreed so i want to throw one idea at you here quick um you've all kind of mentioned laughing a bit at this movie i really enjoy reading takashi shimizu's interviews he's a really funny guy and he's very sharp um but he has a quote about how he approached directing horror and also his roots in horror. So he said this, I started shooting horror movies because since I was a kid, I like to scare people. 
I always loved to watch scary movies, but I never particularly wanted to shoot scary movies. So during the shoot, the atmosphere in the studio is very relaxed and people are having fun. Actually, I like to see some of the audience laughing in my movies instead of being scared. So, I mean, he is approaching this with a sense of humor that's like, yeah, I'm going to scare you, but like, come on, it's pretty fun, right? Well, yeah, uh, you said that, Frankie, that the kid the kid meowing is like, on its face, a pretty ridiculous image. Uh, it's certainly a ridiculous thing to be like, ah, about, yeah. but I don't know. If there was a time in my life, there was literally years of my life where the idea gave me nightmares. Sure. I mean, I think, I think the death rattle sound, like, I think that is more striking to me than the image because it sounds so mechanical in yeah. its ears, really, and that seems to like also speak to, as Jim was pointing to, like phones being a thing, the TV yeah. being a thing, and just this, you know, not really other, like strangely other, like it shouldn't sound otherworldly, but it kind of does. You can recognize it as like a cranking or a grinding of some kind almost, but in like the way that a machine could be haunted. And that was also one of the things that it raises an interesting idea, again, without pushing it, but I don't know, maybe if they do turn it into an anthology series, maybe someone will do something with that. So I think I can feel you all itching to get to the American version. So I just want to ask about one last sequence because I I watched The Grudge twice. I will say the first time I kind of landed with all of you or I didn't think it was great. But then I watched it again this week and it really, really grew on me in a big way. Um, I think once you know what the film is and you're not expecting like, oh, this is like a world changing, scary, scary movie that I'm not going to sleep after seeing. Once you kind of know what it's going for i just think it's easier to kind of get on its wavelength um but the sequence that stood out to me this time i think it's the fourth one it's with the three girls or the sorry the four girls go in the house yeah and this is the one that connects to jew on the curse too because that film ends with a realtor selling the house and his sister is kind of a medium and she says you know when you sell this house make sure they try the sake because if they try the sake and it tastes rotten they cannot be in the house because they would be susceptible to the curse. And so that's why you hear the girls saying, like, oh, this isn't sake, it's rotten. But I love where that scene goes because it connects the girl who runs away to her father who was the detective who was previously working the case. And I just really like how it makes the whole thing intertwined because it has that weird sequence at the end when you know, she sees her father in the house, he sees her, but they're there at very different times. But it also kind of introduces this, like, which Stephen King movie is it where, is it Salem's Lot with the floating kid outside the window? They're like, it introduces like floating vampires basically, where she's like covering her window and newspaper. It just takes this weird pivot. And like, that was the moment where I was like, because up until that point, I was like, I love these ghosts and this music. And, and and I was like, the structure of this is kind of fun. But that was the moment where I was like, oh, the structure of this is what's brilliant about it. Because we, up until then, everything feels like pretty closely tied together. So it doesn't feel like, it feels like a little serialistic, but not super serialistic. But then they're like, this guy's seeing a scene from... 10 years in the future uh and and that's weird and then it cuts to that and then we're just in this world with these girls 10 years in the future for a while uh and i was like this is really lovely this that to me was what was great about the first movie is and and that sequence is sort of when you learn (laughs) that that's what's happening yeah 
Yeah, because it isn't immediately clear that like all these things are at different times. You know, it, it obviously does. Uh, Most of it ties together, but that's one where it's like, oh no, this is kind of bizarre in a great yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bennett, Frankie, any standout sequences for you before we move on? Or are you guys feeling we've covered this? I mean, it's not it's not a sequence so much as I mean, just some kind of interesting context or, or whatever you want to call it. So for the chapter that I was skimming to prepare for it, I was learning about how, you know, the movie is supposedly, so Valerie Wee, I think is the author of the book where she, she has a chapter on both the original and remake of the big grudge. Um, she talks about how it as a kind of reflection of a certain, Craig, I think you, you, kind of reference this, but or in, in the interview that you reference when he's talking about domestic violence being on the rise when the movie comes out. Because in, in this chapter, he's talking about how there's like a kind of like what happens to the US after around World War Two, where women kind of enter the workforce and gain a newfound sense of uh, independence while the men are at war. Uh, and apparently in Japan, there is uh, like a, a recession that kind of causes a, a reconceptualization of like traditional kind of gender roles with with men um not occupying the same position of, of power uh or kind of dominance as you know the salaried you know breadwinner um with with women kind of being reduced to, to a more subservient domestic role so the movie is kind of a reflection in the kind of male violence that that starts off the grudge as being a kind of reflection of that and of a specific moment for Japan, I think is kind of interesting. And it's something that since we're gonna transition to talking about the American one in a second, doesn't like you lose some of that in the transition to the American one that I don't think is necessarily a fault of the remake or anything. But it's it's just something that kind of caps off like what the movie is speaking to in its original context, and maybe it's speaking to some some other things in the American one. Can I comment on a thing you said a few minutes ago that I I spaced out? I meant to say something and I didn't. I suppose <laughs> you can you can tell me to shut up if you don't want to. This is just a thing I think about a lot and care about a lot. <laughs> um, but in regards to this idea of uh, of people laughing at elements of the movie, I. Um, this, this is also the thing I make everyone talk about in my class every semester, and they're always like, okay. Uh, but the, the, the shape of a joke and the shape of a scary thing in a horror movie is exactly the same, right? They're both uh, building a tension and then releasing that tension through something that is uh, surprising but inevitable, as Plato would say. So it makes sense, right? It's it's the only difference between between a joke and and a like fright um, is that one of them feels horrific to you and the other one doesn't, right? One of them has some levity because because of the absurdism, and the other one has like a tragedy because of the absurdism. So it's those those two things; they're exactly the same. So the only difference between laughing at something, right, and also. As a filmmaker, uh, for me, I, if you're making like drama or whatever, I think it's different. But if you're making things like horror or comedy, your whole goal is just to make everyone make the same noise at the same time, right? You just want them all to be like, ah, or, or, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and, and the difference between the like, ah, and the ha, ha, ha is so minimal. I totally get why he would say, I don't, I like it when people laugh, because it's the same. It's the same reaction, just, just happy instead of uh, upset. Makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> 
Bennett, any closing thoughts before we move on? Yeah, just, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, a sense of perhaps missed opportunity. Um, or, you know, we've also talked about, too, uh, the ways in which the, the, the film we're about to talk about kind of lifts a lot of the stuff from this one wholesale. One thing that is unique to this film, this is the only film in which the cat uses its powers to create multiple versions of itself. Um, there's that scene, I think it's... Oh, right, there's uh, a ton of cats at the end. With Rico, oh, when she like yeah. wakes up at one point with a start, and there's like a ton of cats. Yeah, right, that right, doesn't right, happen in any of, any of the other films. Probably, I guess, no one wanted to, to deal with the logistics with a ton of, having, of cats. You know, wrangling like 18 <laughs> cats, but they did it here. Uh, I don't that think is, it's CGI. That was striking. I like that. Some of them are stuffed. A hundred percent. Some of them are fake stuffed cats. Uh, A couple of them just don't move. I mean, they don't have to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But a bunch of them are real. (laughs) I guess the other image that just popped into my mind I forgot about is when I think Rico wakes up and Toshio is just like staring at her in her bed. I think he's Uh. like sitting like a cat. And then she kind of you know rolls her head back and Kayako is like (laughs) like a gargoyle over her. I like that shot. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. The elevator scare is really creepy too. Again, oh, when no he's like st- just standing when he's, like, in the hallway closer yeah. behind the panes, yeah. Ooh. Uh, that was one where I liked. This is a very rare example of a thing where I liked what they did in the American remake, where you see his full nude body a couple of times <laughs> instead of just his face. <laughs> well, on that note, should we uh, maybe uh, go to what the USA does best in remaking horror movies? Yeah. All right. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, as I kind of mentioned earlier, right? They 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 just went the like Godzilla Raymond Burr route. They were like, we're gonna do functionally a direct remake, but we're just gonna throw some white people in it, which is such a bizarre way to approach remaking. Because I get I get that there's like some Japanese culture to the setup that they want to preserve. Although as the stuff Frankie mentioned earlier, the like actual cultural context. Uh, is nice and makes sense, but doesn't really come through. So all they're doing is making a movie that's set in Japan, but with some white people because they don't think, because they think an American audience is going to be like, I don't want to look at all these Japanese people in this movie set in Japan. So they like have to go way out of their way to explain why, and they don't even really, to explain why all of these white people, like including the brother and sister who both happenstantially work there, um... It's very weird. It seems like they could have either set the movie, they could have made it with Japanese actors in English if they wanted to, or they could have just done what the 2021 was and moved it to the US and made it an American movie. There's there's nothing so fundamentally Japanese about a house full of ghosts that want to murder you that they couldn't have moved it to the US. Um, and I think that's its biggest failure, is just that it, it, it sort of equivocates. It doesn't really know how to be an American remake, and so it and so it does this, mostly a remake of the original movie, but with Sarah Michelle Gellar sort of inexplicably. <laughs> right. I, I'll say as far as it, it's kind of just plopping them into the setting, like my favorite bit of like scene setting is followed immediately by like my least favorite, most like screenwriter <laughs> hacky. I, I don't think the 2002 film really does. I don't think there's any like city stuff really in the, mm. in the second one besides like when the, the sisters like the girls building. Um, Oh, yeah, I guess they, they walk around a little bit in the city. But there's, like, a good establishing shot of, like, a huge crosswalk. And you really get the sense of her mm. being, like, you know, like, anonymous. And this like, mass of people. It really, like, there's a sense of, like, scale, right? And then it's immediately followed by them, like, but by, by her, like, looking in on, like, she's, like, by, by her explaining, like, uh, some sort of, uh, like, ritual to her boyfriend. Uh, just sort of, like, uh, they, they go and look in on, like, a cemetery. 
and people are sort of uh, oh, yeah. you know, lighting something to sort of uh, oh, right. experience or something like that. So it, it, I don't know. It's like a hacky bit of like scene setting that sort of also adds like a spooky sort of air. And that I, I, I fucking hate that shit. I hate it so much. And then her boyfriend lights up a cig as they're like, like looking at people in movies always have fucking Zippo lighters. Have you ever met someone with a Zippo lighter? I have one. Light? I've never used it because oh, okay, you fill it <laughs> and then all the all the uh, fuel evaporates over the course of like three or four days. Uh, maybe it's because it's old, but that's always been So it's exclusively filling like setting buildings yeah. on fire yeah, right? yeah i mean i feel like it's, it's, it's yeah you have to have yeah, a purpose you're like it's not like i'm gonna it's, keep this in my pocket for when i smoke you're like i'm gonna go do a crime because <laughs> I'm gonna say, i guess that's lighter. why people have them in movies because yeah. they always end up being like plot elements you know something always has to be like set on fire yeah uh but uh yeah i don't know i i like yeah it, her boyfriend's such a non-character exclusively just we need another white guy <laughs> that movie also that scene you mentioned comes after that boyfriend spends like 10 minutes trying to avoid having sex with sarah michelle keller <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the weirdest um, scene, the weirdest scene in the movie. All right. You know what's funny? We haven't they, even gotten to this movie. Down. Yet. We haven't even gotten here yet. Let's let's uh let's take a break here. Sorry, sorry. We're gonna call it here for now. It sounds like there's a lot of debate to be had about the the U.S. remake. So we're gonna take a short break on our end. Tune back in tomorrow. We're gonna be back while the striking while the iron's hot. Thank you for listening to Split Picks. Tomorrow we're looking at. The U.S. Grudge from 2004, also directed by Takashi Shimizu. And then Bennett's favorite grudge from 2020. Can't wait. One of the greatest horror films ever made. Okay, we're cutting this off. (laughs) 